Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we have the illustrious Danny Johnson. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hey, guys. I don't think I've ever been introduced as illustrious, so that's okay. <laughs> it's my big word for the day. Yeah, I was trying yeah, to I'm figure out looking up to. I'm not exactly. Hoping, uh, I guess that that hopefully is great. It's right? a good. Okay. I was gonna go. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna use sparkly, but I thought I thought illustrious might be better. <laughs> okay, no, it's nice. I will say I will say well 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 chosen then well chosen. Awesome. Well, Danny, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, Danny uh, saw that. We are actually in New Jersey, but we have the San Antonio map on uh, uh, right behind us. A little, uh, a little jealous of uh, where Danny is, which is actually uh, San Antonio, Texas. So, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, just if you want, would you give us a little brief background on yourself? Sure. So, I uh, man, this goes back so long now. It's like fourteen years, I think. Amazing. But um, um, anyway, my my father started, he was a contractor when I was a kid and uh, ended up working with uh, a real estate investor here in town and was doing the fix up on the houses for him. And, uh, you know, he started having back trouble and different things. So he was working different jobs and, uh, you know, and wanted to come back and learn how to do the flipping from the guy he had been working for. And, um, you know, at that time I graduated college, I was working, for a defense contractor as a software developer. And I was in an office called a skiff. It was like top secret clearance and all that kind of stuff. And like no natural light, no windows or anything. And oh, I couldn't no. have my cell phone and all that kind of stuff. And I was just doing this work that I thought would be fun, but it wasn't, it was, it's like repetitive coding stuff. And and as a developer, usually we like to be creative and, and tackle these different problems and, and come up with solutions for things. But this was like, basically just like, you know, doing the same work over and over again. And so it was getting to me. And then plus the people, I love the people I worked with in that office, but there were certain things that just drove me nuts. And one of them was for some reason, they would listen to one song over and over about a thousand times. And it was that if I would walk that, or if I would walk 5,000 miles or whatever song, you know, oh, like, no. the proclaimers or whoever that is. <laughs> and man, I don't know. I was like, is, it, is this not driving anybody else crazy? Yeah. Like I would have to put my headphones on and 500 it was just, it was just like noise, I guess, yeah. but I, just, <laughs> I don't want to hear that song ever again. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, I was doing that and I wasn't really, you know, thrilled with what I was doing. And at that time, my dad had started doing the house flipping and he was, every time I would talk to him, he would just be so excited and thrilled, you know, and I'd never seen him like this before. And he had been entrepreneurial before he had uh, different uh, stores and stuff like that, that he had tried to do, but nothing ever really worked out. And so this was the first thing that to me that, that he really like took off with and it just really worked out well and I saw how much fun he was having. He was getting to drive around all day long and, uh, and do these deals and talk about these deals. He was making good money and everything. And I was like, man, I want to do that. I just feel like that's what I want to do. And so we started, uh, my wife and I, Melissa, Uh, started, you know, learning about it and listening to to Ron LeGrand over and over in the car, the CDs that we had and and got to the point where the kids, it was driving them nuts, (laughs) like hearing. So that's the thing I repeat. So are we at that point? We have to explain to other people, all the young. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) This disc, it's called compact disc. No, but, um, 
Yeah, and I'm surprised still that like, cars still come, you know, with yeah. with the I've even seen new cars with tape, yeah. like cassette tape players, I think. And it's crazy. It's like yeah. I think it'd be more expensive to put that in than just to have like an auxiliary jack or Bluetooth, right? That's right. <laughs> but um but not to to get too sidetracked on the tape. <laughs> we love tangents here. Yeah. yeah, it's like have you seen that movie Wonderlust? No. With no. Paul Rudd. No, no. Oh, they they ended up like Amazing. you know lost or something and found this hippie commune. And the guy that runs it was talking about like how Paul Rudd was into all this technology, and he's like, "You with your Walkmans and your <laughs> tapes, <laughs> like all this stuff that was completely dated." It's hilarious when you watch it. I, I don't think I'm doing it justice. Having to like rewind the cassette tapes with your finger. Oh yeah, or they even when you dash like, one song. Yeah. Or like if you leave them on your dashboard and they uh, melt, melt, yeah. melt, work and sound funny. Yeah. Anyway, crazy. enough about cassette tapes. More okay. about so, real estate. So, <laughs> so we we were getting into that and and doing uh, you know part time. So it was evenings and weekends and and you know it took I think six or nine months to get our first deal. Um, you know through when we were driving for dollars, sending postcards mm-hmm. to people. And and putting up bandit signs. And that's how we, we got our first year. But it took a long time and it was kind of frustrating. It was hard for me too, because I couldn't take those calls where I work. So I had to return calls as soon as I can. And and it was it was kind of hard because that was the market was starting to heat up pretty good too back then because it was 2003, 2004, you know, so it was getting pretty hot and, and competitive. But we got the that deal and uh we we started the next deal came maybe within two weeks or a month after that. So it was like really quick and it was like building momentum. Cause all of a sudden, like we believed we could do it. Right. You know, it's cause we got one. It's like getting over that first deal hurdle is so hard for so many people. But after that, it seems like they just start coming after that and like the next deals, but we were still part-time for about three years. And so I was leaving lunch breaks, checking on rehab jobs and figuring all that out you know, and, and like the first, <laughs> I think I'm spending way too long on this, but the first no. house yeah. that we, the first house rehab that we did, uh, was pretty simple. The second one was a burnout. So there was like fire damage. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't even know how, where to begin on this. But while I was looking at the house to make an offer, a contractor stopped by and was like, is this your house? And I said, well, I'm trying to make it be my house, you know, so give me a bid, you know? And, and he said, yeah, we could do this. And he gave me a bid that was incredible. And, um, you know, he did the job and I learned real quick on that job to make sure that we tell them what materials we want to use. Got it. Because all the fixtures and we didn't say anything. He just said he put new ones in and, you know, we got the ugliest of the uglies. I don't even know where he got this stuff. From. <laughs> so, so we learned a lot, but thankfully it all worked out. You know, he did a good job yeah. and, uh, you know, the household and everything, but, um, but we were part-time for about three years and it took forever. It was hard for me to, to let go of the job. It just was like we were doing well, but I was so worried about being consistent once we quit, you know, and, uh, you know, Melissa, we worked at the same place and, and she talked to me one day. She said, Hey, your manager was telling me that they're going to let you go. And, you know, he's going to fight real hard to keep you on and stuff. And she thought I would be all you know worried about it, but I was like, no, that's what I need. Like I need Problem somebody solved. to take me out of this so I can just go full time and, and just do it, you know? And so it was, it was actually a blessing and it, and it worked out well, where they did let me go and I, I got to be full time and it wasn't too long after that she quit and joined me. So nice. And, wow. and that's, that was like what, 2005, I think. Wow. Wow. Yeah. See, I mean, that's, that's the kind of motivation that we're trying to go for. Like, like how'd you got, how, how you got over that fear factor and you yeah. said it 
perfectly. People have the hardest time getting over that first step. Or just, yeah, just getting to that first deal. And that's been a, a big emphasis on the REI Foundation podcast is that we want to be able to help people achieve that first one because we know that it, it just, it does create that steamroll effect. Yeah. And so for you, just going out there, taking action, just sending mailers, driving for dollars, putting up banded signs, and then taking calls, you know, off on your off hours and everything else, it just shows that you can do it, especially you had everything pushing against you. You're not allowed to probably have your phone on like 10 hours a day or nine hours a day, whatever right. it is. And then the same part, you're still finding ways. Right. So, yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was listening to a different podcast this morning and, and there were, it was a different industry, but the, the, I think it relates as far as when, when people listen to podcasts like, like ours and, and yours and, you know, they hear about everybody's success and, and like, like just now I just told a story that spanned what three years, mm -hmm. yep. but it's told so quickly. And it seems like so easy. Even if you hear somebody saying it took this many months and the next one was real quick, it still seems easy, right? Like it seems right. like it happened quick. Yeah. And I think people see that all the time. And so they underestimate what it really takes, right? They, they think, well, it seems so easy for them, but I'm not, I'm finding all these, like I sent out 500 mailers and got one call and they weren't interested, you know, is this really work? And, you know, not seeing, that, yeah, you send out 500 mails, doesn't work. So you tweak it and send again, and then you keep trying and hoping. And, uh, you know, the part that you don't hear about, right? Like yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the keeping going. And even though it seems like you're throwing money down a black hole, you're not, you're, you're building momentum. And, uh, you know, somebody that held on to that first one didn't call you within a couple of weeks of mailing it out, but calls you two years later and says, I got that from you and I kept right. it. And now I want to sell my house. You know, it's pretty cool. But, um, and then the other part is like the mindset, right? So, you know, and I think that's why it's, it's an addition of the compound effect of your marketing, right? Or, or deal searching. Some people hold on to your postcards or whatever. Maybe they need to see your message several times, but then also, um, you know, the faith and, and the realization that you can do it, that there are people that want to sell to is the mindset shift, right? And it, I think it helped us knowing that my dad was doing it. So it's like, I knew it was possible. And, and I knew what we were doing could get us to do because I saw my dad do it. Right. And so I had that behind us too, which helped tremendously. But then people have these podcasts now and it's like, you can see other people and, and it's not, you know, of trying not to be like, Oh man, they had it easy. Lucky them. It's like, wow, they did it. I can do it too. And you know, and then, and then having it happen themselves. And that's when it starts really building. Right. It's cause they, they saw it happen. They know it can happen again. Yeah. And then they go into the, well, just to quote what you just said, all of a sudden we believed we could do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the best quote. And you said it, like, it's like, it's like you said, it's the mind shift. I mean, delve a little bit more into that. Like how, how'd you get to that mind shift and how, I mean, you, you're talking 2003. So you've right. been doing this, like you said, for 14 years. That's, I mean, that's longevity. Talk a little bit more about that. So the mindset, the, uh, yeah. So in, and, uh, in, in addition with all this, you know, like learning, being an entrepreneur, having a business and a lot of it has to do with like working on yourself. Right. To, I love, I, I love Jim Rohn. You know, he, he just has the best material for motivation and mindset and all that kind of stuff. He was a business philosopher and he's got a lot of materials out there and, and, uh, he passed, I don't know how many years ago, but, but excellent stuff and still very relevant today for mindset. But, but he was, he would talk about, and I think he was the one that mentioned something about whenever, you know, you see people that win the lottery and it's not a, that long that they end up losing all of it. And the reason is 
and then they end up in debt and everything. And, and the reason is they never became the person it took to, to build that kind of well. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and so they didn't know how to handle it, manage it, all that kind of stuff. So you, you have to become that, that person to be able to grow that business. And so you got to work on yourself. You don't just work on your business. You work on yourself and your mindset and, and issues that you've got and all that kind of stuff. You, you get out of your comfort zone. And so I think, you know, everybody should, should learn how to flip houses and learn the nuts and bolts and all that kind of stuff, but also work on yourself and work on your mindset and motivation and all that kind of stuff. So, so Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, all those guys can show you how to better do it than I can, I think, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're on a, you're on a good path of showing us how to do yeah, it. Well, it's, it's amazing what you're saying. Cause that you're a hundred percent right is one of the biggest things you hear from people is just that fear of failure that they will create just so many reasons why if they even try to find a house that, you know, the entire town's going to burn down or, you know, someone's going to come and take their dog or something, you know, something right. crazy. It's like the most insane things, but they never really happen, but they create all these blocks for them just from getting to that first deal. And, Absolutely. You know, and that that's just to have your mind right. That just say, well, I'm just going to take actual steps. The first step is, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to go around and see houses that maybe, uh, you know, have some shutters falling off or the roof hasn't done or hasn't mowed the lawn. Step number one, or I'm going to go put some signs out and then, Oh, people start calling. Okay. Well I got to pick up the phone or call them back. So, you know, that's step two. Okay. So there's another step, you know, now we, nothing's burned down. Nothing's happened. We're just taking these small little steps and it's building, you don't, but you know, you absolutely. Know, 15 years down the road now. And you, you look back at that just, uh, from you driving around to what you've put together now, I just, right. it's a snowball and yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, no, I think that point is huge. What, what you just said is the biggest thing keeping a lot of people back is they're looking at the whole path, right? They're hearing all these things, these different techniques for investing and they feel like they've got to understand all of it or that they need to know what's going to happen, how they can handle the situation that comes up on title for a property they're buying before they ever go out there and even talk to anybody about buying their house. Like, yeah. you know, it's that whole fear of all this unknowns. And like you said, Hey, don't stress out about all that stuff. Like, what does that even matter until you get to the part where you need to worry about that? Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't, don't and, worry about step 10 unless you get to like take step one and two first. Yeah. Right. And in, in the, the analogy I heard, I forget, I wish I knew who said this, I don't, but it was uh, like, if I were to drive from San Antonio to Chicago at night, I don't need to illuminate the entire path to Chicago. Nice. Like my car illuminates far enough ahead for me to drive to that spot and then it keeps going. And that's the way to look at it. So it's, it's a, uh, I think it's a good thing. And like you said, like, don't stress about all that stuff. Just go out and drive around. You don't have to make an offer on a house today, but just go and look for houses that are beat up and write down the address and, and, and just let that get you excited and, and get going to contact people. And, and then the first, I, I tell people whenever, because motivated sell marketing, like talking with sellers was super scary to me too. At first, like I, I was so scared those first appointments, like what if they ask me something I don't know? And I seem, you know, I'm saying I'm going to buy your house fast and all this stuff. And I am scared to death. Like that you're going to ask me something that I should know, but I don't know. But after you do it and you speak to a lot of people, you know, I think they appreciate the fact that you're not a super hardcore salesman or something and you're nervous. They're, they're going to actually appreciate that. And it's actually helpful. And, and to know that, you know, if you don't know something, admit to it and people respect that, yeah, you know, great. say, I'm going to need to find out. Let me talk to the title company and, and I'll call you once I find an answer, you know, is, is, is the absolute best thing to do. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Be real, be human. I mean, that's, that's, 
That's really key when it comes to sales. And most of these sellers, when you're going in their house, it's not like they know the whole path either. So they're asking your questions. They're just as nervous or even more nervous than you because if depending on the situation, most of them are, they've called you for a reason They're They need help. They need something. And, and ideally they're in a bad spot and they're hoping that you can possibly be that solution. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and as far as mindset, one thing I did think about too, that I wanted to talk about that I think helps some people is, is what Tony Robbins talks about is asking the right questions. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, where that makes sense in, in trying to get into flipping houses and expand your flipping houses business and scaling it. Everything is that, um, you know, things will always come up, right? Everybody has problems. Like whenever you're doing something different, you're going to run into challenges and it's how you respond to those challenges. And, you know, we all have them. It's in the people that do better are the people that end up, you know, are, are capable of asking the right questions around those challenges. So it's like, what's the benefit of this challenge? What am I supposed to learn? because this happened and, uh, and asking that right question. So, um, and this gets into like stoicism and all that kind of stuff. I love all yeah. stuff like Marcus Aurelius and, you yeah. know, like all the, the things about obstacles, the way and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, you're asking God or the universe for a different life. You're going to have these things that, that happen to you that you're going to be like, why is this happening to me? you know, this is, this is painful. This is scary. Why is this happening to me? Well, it's happening to you because you asked for something better. And in order to get that, you've got to grow as a person, overcome that and you'll be there. But you know, like sometimes those problems are like right there and you can't see that. And so it's like looking for that benefit in that problem or, or why that happened to you and what you need to learn from it. And that's asking the right question, right? So instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Why, why are people so mean to me? Or, or why did that person steal my contract? Or, you know, it's like, how can I avoid this next time? Or what's the lesson here? Like, what is this trying to, to get me to, to realize and learn out of this so that I can move on and, and grow and, and get to where I'm, I'm asking to be. Right. So yeah, that's great. Wow. And we, wow. We should probably steer that into, so you've now been on this path, you know, fast forward us with where has your business evolved to and, and, you're in San Antonio. I, I presume that you've always been in San Antonio and uh, this is your market. Uh, right. Where are you focusing today and, and how is this a uh, snowball really uh, built to where you are today? Okay. So we, you know, we didn't grow super big right away and we, we always wanted to keep it just my wife and I, and yeah. I think we had the, the wrong reasons for, for wanting that. And, and some, some um, what's the right word for it, but you know, we, we didn't want to be responsible for employees and we wanted to be able to turn the business off whenever we wanted to and go on vacation for a long time and stuff like that. And, um, so up until about maybe three years ago, maybe a little bit more, you know, it was just us. And, you know, obviously we had contract crews, we had a realtor helping us sell a property and stuff like that, but we didn't have anybody on our team, you know, doing marketing, taking calls, going to appointments or checking on rehabs. It was us. It was me and her. And so during that time, you know, we, we've had, you know, we've got five kids and, and during that time, while we've been in this business, two of them were born and we've raised them and, uh, and, uh, you know, Weston's five now and Sophie's nine, but, um, you know, the younger two. And, and so we've had a lot of things to deal with, with, those, with, with that and everything and not, not uh, growing too fast, but you know, we felt like just having it just be us, we can turn the business off whenever and, and, you know, go for longer vacations. So, but what ended up happening was we just sort of worked ourselves 
nearly to death. Right. You know, it's like we, there was too many responsibilities and, and trying to keep the marketing going. And the couple of times that I did kind of back off a little bit on marketing to go get my private pilot's license and stuff like that, you know, things kept going from momentum for a little <laughs> bit, but after so many months that like dies off and it takes a little bit longer to get that momentum going again. And so I learned that. And that's when I started flipping junkie blog is when I started building back up after getting my pilot's license was the reason for posting, you know, about the 34 weeks of getting back the business going again. And, um, and so we more recently, you know, I'd started hiring people and getting over the fact that I, you know, I can find people that can go to appointments and do better than me and getting contracts. Cause it was the big fear. Like no one's going to care as much as me and they're not going to be able to get these houses in a contract. And, you know, it's just not true. And it was a false belief that I had for so long and getting over that's been huge. And you find that hiring people and scaling your business then does allow you to go and take vacations and do things. And, you know, it's, it's an uphill battle and there's a little, there's a lot of work involved in doing that and and learning how to lead a team and stuff like that. But, but, uh, I I wish we had realized that before. Right. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much I can like touch on over here. I really want to get your wife on, on our podcast. (laughs) Number one, cause you tell me five kids. I'm like, there's sometimes I have, I have trouble with two because we're trying to grow our business as you did. And I like, I'm, I feel like I'm taking too much time away from the kids and yada, yada, yada. And we're exploding too fast. Um, so yeah, we're, I'll be calling your wife. Okay. We're going to have a lot of fun. (laughs) She's been getting out of her comfort zone too, and doing videos for the, for the YouTube channel and stuff. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I'll create a YouTube channel with her called mothers of flipping. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you touched on, you know, you something here is that, so, you have this business rock and rolling, right? but now you've created yourself, you know, a lot of people, they get set in a job and they have a nine to five and they may never get to the point they want, but at least, you know, at, at five o'clock, they turn it off and they go away. And sometimes you start to create your business with the point that you want something better, but you find yourself so, so, so in the business that you, that you're working 95 hours a week, you know, and you're barely sleeping cause you're up and you're going and it's always on you. What, what made you really hit that point and say like, yeah, we, we got to find a way because we want to create a lifestyle, not, not something that's going to just take us and, and run us, run and have the business run us. Yeah. I think it was seeing the, the, the kids growing up and, and, um, and wanting to, to be there more and, uh, you know, and then I was flying too, and I wanted to go flying more, more often and, and do some of the fun things and not just, you know, it's like, I don't, I feel like we got to keep doing this over and over again. And it's not, scaling and it's not setting up a thing where we have more of the the real financial freedom, you know, where we're not having to work so much, you know, it's not a real business, uh, like this. And we, we've been doing a lot of owner financing and stuff like that. And that builds up and that does provide, you know, nice long-term income and everything. And it's great. And we're going to be doing a little bit more of that. Now we kind of slowed down when Dodd-Frank happened, but you know, came up, but, um, but, you know, I guess what made us let's do that was just like realizing that, you know, some, at a certain point you kind of get, you know, tired of, of having to, to do everything, you know, wear the different hats and the ups and downs, because that's what was happening for so many years was, you know, and my dad and, and our mentor would always say that that's kind of what it was is like, you're wearing the different hats. So you got to put on your marketing hat and you got to get all the deals. So you get the deals, you get a couple deals, right? You take off your marketing hat, you put on your rehabbing hat, 
and you rehab the property. Then you got to take that off and put the salesperson hat on, get that property moved and transaction hat to close the transaction, all that kind of stuff. And you can't wear more than one hat, right? Well, maybe you can, but it's not going to be pretty. So, you know, you have, when you do that, you're, so you take the marketing hat off and you're putting the rehab hat on. That marketing hat's not going to come back on until you're done with all those things. Mm -hmm. And so then you're back to square one, having to try to get the deals again. And, and so it's just finding a way to keep those things going, you know, like, like systematize the business. And it's something that when we did get started, we started, I have binders with old plans and notes and goals. When we first got started where we were talking about system, systematizing everything and writing out everything that we're doing to try to do that, but we never finished it. And they just kind of sat there. And so I look back and say, man, that's a missed opportunity. That was like, we were headed in the right direction, but yeah. But I think we had those fears again. Like it was, you know, do we really want to have somebody come work with us? And, and now we do, we've got a great team, awesome team. And I couldn't imagine it, you know, if we, we didn't have that right now. So what was the catalyst to get you start to actually getting you into systematizing your business? Um, like you said, you had written it down, you were sort of in that direction, but then you start getting into the grind and you're like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I, I, I'm the best person at this. I'm the only person that can go on the appointments. I'm the only person that can take the phone calls, but what tripped you over that? And maybe what that, that spot? what was your first hire? Who was your first hire? Yeah. Yeah. So the catalyst was, was lead propeller. And, you know, those are the, the real estate investor websites that we created. Mm -hmm. And then that stems back from whenever I was ramping the business back up and I started flipping junkie blog, uh, most of my leads were coming from my website. And so people saw that and were saying, Hey, I want a website uh, too. Where can I get one? Where'd you get yours? And I said, well, I built mine. I'm a software developer, you know, from before. And I just built my own and, uh, and enough people had asked me for enough, a long enough time. That I was like, you know what, let me, build this out so they can choose a template and, and have an editor where they can make changes. Cause that was always the thing. I didn't want to do one-off websites. Right. Yeah. And this way people could do that. And so I was building that up and, and did most of the coding for the initial version of that and was, was launching that and actually made my first hire as somebody to help me with that before I did for the flipping company. And, um, I think we brought on Melissa's brother who now works for me in and lead propeller, nice. <laughs> but, but he was, we, we had him, uh, being the acquisitions person was the first person to come on and help us out with the flipping business while I was trying to grow the, the software business as well. And it got to the point where I'm taking calls to look at houses, but I'm also in the middle of coding something. And I found myself sometimes even maybe being slightly rude on the phone. So like, well, what's, what's the address? How much you want to sell for? Okay. 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 I'll be over there like two o'clock. And I wasn't taking care of business. Got it. You know, and so yeah. it's like, hey, this is, I got to choose. I can't do both of these things well. And so I've got to figure something out. And so it was like, well, let's grow this team. And so we started hiring and, you know, tried uh, working with, with Joss's acquisitions. And, and, um, and that went okay, but we weren't getting deals. So we had the marketing going, we weren't getting deals. So we had to, to switch and, and uh, we brought on uh, Grayson, who, who's been awesome. He, he was acquisitions. He moved into, uh, kind of being, um, it's like a chief operating officer, maybe building the team. So helping build the team and grow the company. And it's, it's been awesome. So now we have a lead intake and then, uh, acquisitions and then he's growing the team. So the next person will be the dispositions person to help with uh, the wholesaling of it. 
That's amazing. And now how many years have you, like, have you had these hires? I, I, what I'm trying to package here is that you, you've, you built a business over 15 years and now you're just, you're, you're finding right. it hasn't, from yourself. It hasn't been that long. So, so this team is, uh, what, almost two years, year and a half, I think two years. And in the, in, in those two years, how has your business grown? Well, our goal this year is 108 deals. And, and that's, that's, you know, it's the people are like, well, why 108? Why not just a hundred? Right. That's a weird goal. But very auspicious. It was, yeah. It was very ambitious, but six. No, I said uh, auspicious. 108. What's that? 108 is a very auspicious number. So uh, six wholesale deals a month and then three flips. Cause we, Melissa loves the design of the rehabs and loves doing that. So, but every time we look at numbers of the deals and how much we made on flips versus wholesales, there's not big of a, that, that huge of a difference anymore because the market's so hot. Like you said, in San Antonio, it's like the people are paying a crazy amount for properties. Correct. So wholesaling makes a lot of sense right now. And so, but, but so that's been good. So it's been, been our goal and, and to grow the team to be able to do that. And, and we're getting there. We're a little bit behind, but, uh, but, I, but I full faith that we'll be able to do it by the end of the year. That's just the whole thing that we've got to grow to do it. Right. So and grow responsibly. Again, I want to like impart to our listeners. Yeah. You hear Danny is like, I'm going to do 108 deals this year. Listen to the podcast again. If you like have that like scared feeling because you want to be at 108 grow responsibly. Danny took 14 years to get to where he is and it's through growing responsibly, through learning, through making mistakes, um, you know, just take that first step. Yeah. People want the immediate, uh, gratification. So they, okay, well I want to do a hundred deals too. And they, they've, they've done (laughs) one, maybe 17 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, but so you can have that goal, but you need to set up the system. And so now, I, I, some good context would be that you're in a super competitive market, mm-hmm. right? So you're going after six wholesales, three flips a month, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. How, how are you determining what, what route do you go with each property? How do you determine, okay, well, you know, this one will flip or this one will wholesale, or are you targeting differently for those? And uh, maybe how do you make yourself stand out in such a hot market? Yeah. So we just have to do a lot of different things. So we do the website, obviously I have my site ranking organically for, for almost 2000 keywords. Uh, we, we do PPC, you know, pay-per-click stuff through AdWords and Bing. We do a lot of direct mail. I'm not even sure how much, but I know it's, it's very expensive. (laughs) Thousands and thousands of pieces, 15 or 20,000 a month, I think. Uh, so it's a lot and we don't really target, I mean, some of the direct mail, we do target the areas that are more wholesale type properties versus fix and flip. But, um, on the fix and flip, we have a sweet spot where it's, it's just below our median house price but it's a sweet spot where the properties end up with multiple offer situations and it's where the bulk of the buyers are. And so we stick to those for that. The other things, the expensive properties, I, I don't like those. We, we wholesale them. And then the lower end properties we wholesale as well. So, um, and then if it's something in the sweet spot, but it's got foundation problems because we have, I think it's called black gumbo soil or something like that. It's, it's like a clay soil. So it, it holds water and it expands and then it dries. We have droughts. And so it, shrinks up. And so foundations are like this. And so if there's foundation problems now, we just say, we're not going to deal with it because of, of the unknowns. You can level it, but then you've got disconnects for plumbing. Yep. And sometimes they got a tunnel and that gets very expensive. So yep. yeah, so that's one of the criteria. And I, I still, 
like I can see Melissa still talking to me about that and going, these houses with the foundation problems, no more. <laughs> you know, after the seeing the bills and stuff like that, it was like, we're not doing these anymore. They're going to be wholesale. That's like a quick, it's a no brainer. No more. Yeah. But we do, we do a lot of that work and what happens here with those problems that you can't always see what you have until you're into it. And so you, you budget, but your budget's only good as to the day you show up and then yeah. you start exposing things and it, it never ends. And that that's usually the point. Sometimes you get lucky, but yeah. very, very rarely do you get lucky. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, I was just going to say, it's amazing sometimes, you know, sometimes on some of the little bit cheaper properties, sometimes we'll leave it slightly off. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just like, like maybe an inch or two over a longer run, I mean, it's, it's kind of noticeable. It's a little bit off. And I remember one time we had two houses like this and, and we decided let's just do a, a real quick cleanup and you're going to cause more problems than not by moving the house around. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of left it. And one of them was like way off. Cause we were like, if we can't sell, there's some sort of problem with selling this and getting a loan on it. We'll just owner finance it. But we, we got both of them under contract so the one, I don't know, it was like a crazy amount, like six inches off or something or, or like some pretty high number. We didn't know. We never like really checked. We let them do their inspection. They checked. They didn't say a thing. They showed us the report and didn't say a thing. And the bank didn't care. I don't know. It was crazy. And then the other property that was off like half an inch, they were complaining about it. Oh, no. You know, like wanting it leveled out and stuff like that. It was like... It, so you never know, but no, you don't. Right. You, it's all—it's all about the buyer. I mean, yeah, you just—you take your chances. Yeah, I mean that is just that's just crazy. But actually, I want to go back and talk a little bit more about your businesses because you keep on mentioning, um, and leap you propeller, can, leap yeah, propeller um, flipping junkie, flipping junkie yeah. podcast, and then um, blog, yeah, like your blog and everything, whatever your and the YouTube channel that your wife is doing. Let's talk a little bit about that. Cause it sounds like these are your, these are sort of like part of the foundation of your flip business. So, um, just tell us a little bit about each and each and every one of them. Sure. So I'll, I'll start with the flipping junkie, you know, blog. Like I mentioned, I had that time where I, I took several months off to get a pilot. So I was still doing, you know, managing rehabs and stuff like that, but, but wasn't doing the marketing. And so the, the business sort of slowed down a lot. And, um, after I got the pilot's license and I started, um, building it back up, but I, I, I needed accountability and I needed somebody to kind of push me to do it because I just gotten my private pilot's license. All I wanted to do was go and fly all the time, <laughs> which is very expensive as well. So the, um, uh, so I, I was on bigger pockets and I had looked at other blogs and I had flipping junkie and I had posted a couple of the first blogs were like, you know, like what to bring with you when you're looking at a house, stuff like that. And, but nobody was like showing up to it. Like nobody really cared. Right. It was just like stuff you find all over the place. And so I looked at the different types of blogs. And I was like, well, there's either people showing things like this helpful tips, or there's people showing their deals that they're doing, like the before and afters, the fix up, you know, like what they're changing the cabinets and stuff like that. But they don't ever talk about how they got those deals, yeah. you know, and the numbers and stuff. And I was like, well, I can show all that stuff and allow that to be my accountability to, um, uh, to be able to like, cause I know I'm telling people this week, I'm going to do this, right. These are all the marketing things I'm going to do and all that kind of stuff. And then, so I started doing that and I posted on bigger pockets. There's like a long uh, post about like building my business back up to 30 deals a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it talks about that. And so I started posting every week and I would post all the marketing I did. And then every call that came in, I documented on that blog, like every week. 
with like the numbers that they were asking, how I analyzed it, what I, why I decided to go look at it and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I just documented 34 weeks of that and it kept me motivated and kept me excited. And it was awesome to see how much it helped people, you know, and that, that kind of like helped it to really became something where I started and it was like motivation for me, but then it became awesome because it was like, hear about all these people saying, you don't know how much this is helping me because what, like the big thing that I heard over and over again was we had no idea that you had to look at that many properties and make that many offers to get a deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was like that whole thing you hear, it's a numbers game to actually see it in action. Like, you know, you think, well, I got a couple calls. You think I should be able to get a deal out of it. And you stress out cause you can't make a deal out of the two calls. No, you know, it, cause yeah. in, in the things that if you go back and look, like I, I would post like the deal and stuff. And I would say, you know, there's no way this could be a deal for me past next. You know, I just wrote it off quick. And then just like, I need to get more calls. I'm not getting enough deals. So I need to get more calls. I need to do more marketing. And it's as simple as that really. I mean, Simple, but not easy. Right. So yeah. it's a lot of work. Well, that's, um, I but. mean, that's what people, especially new flippers and wholesalers, anybody in the real estate industry in general needs, they need like a, a nice little window into the business. And that's what you provided them. And I'm sure you've helped people's businesses like tenfold, hundredfold just by providing that window. Awesome. Well, you're structured too now. And I think going back to flying planes, I, I, it would probably be good to talk about the checklist because you, you, you yeah. there's a checklist that you just do every single time and it's repetitive. Even if you just come back out and you want to go back, you do the checklist again. And it, it, that's almost like the structure you put together here is that you have a structure, you follow it, you just keep following right. it repetitive because it just needs to be human nature. Yeah. Don't get sidetracked on all the shiny objects, right? It's like put your plan in place. And, and, uh, you know, keep working it and give it enough chance to actually work instead of running off and trying something different. You know, it's like sending direct mail out once, not getting many calls and saying it doesn't work and trying something else. Yeah. Thinking there's a magic bullet, right? Like there's, you know, you hear people talk about direct mail and, and getting leads online and stuff like that. So much is because it works. Right. And if you don't have success with it, maybe you need to tweak it and find out, Yep. You know, or you're just not trying it in long enough. Yeah. Longevity. Or, or enough touches on each person you know, that you're mailing to, uh, to make it work. But, but really you don't need to go out and find the new special thing that's going to get you all these magical deals. All of a sudden it's the stuff that works. You just need to work it. Like, it's great. you know, make your plan. It's written up on our board for, for the software side or not the software side, the house flipping team over here on our whiteboard says, uh, plan your work and then work your plan. <laughs> plan your work like and it. work your plan. That's awesome. I'll write that down. We're both writing that down. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I love it. So, yes. so your business is, is, is rocking and rolling right now. What's something that you could do better to improve within your business right now? Focus. Focus. Sure. What, what are you doing to, to, to improve that? I know we talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but uh, give us some actual steps because I, I, of course, am horrible at that myself. Well, yeah, for sure. So, so I'm, I'm, so we have lead propeller that we're constantly improving and, uh, and planning and hiring developers to work on and growing that business. That business has grown a lot more than the flipping team has. And so focus, I can start with, uh, you know, Melissa and I back last October, after being in a mastermind meeting, um, that, that you guys are in now. And, uh, we, we made the decision, actually, Melissa, you know, brought it up and I'm glad that she's the one that had the idea because she said, you know, how about, you know, because we talked about the fact that you feel like you're doing way too much and she's 
like just as valuable all these years in the flipping business as I was. It wasn't just me. It was both of us. And I couldn't do it without her. And, but after this meeting, like we, she had the idea. It's like, well, why don't I just run the flipping business and then you run the software business so you can focus, you know? And, and, uh, and now all I have to do is be in the, like the weekly meetings and consult and stuff like that. So that's what we do. I'm in the meetings and then they can come ask me a question if they have one that's specific, but, but usually they handle all of it. Like there's, it's crazy. Now I see the deal numbers and I've never seen the house. I've never seen any of it. And, um, and it's awesome. And it's allowed me to focus on the software side, growing that company. And so that, that helped a lot with focus. And then, and then I'm going back to, um, you know, like working on myself. Right. So it's like the planning and, uh, and just, you know, being good about focusing on what I'm doing. And one of the books I just finished rereading was called essentialism. And it's a really good book, essentialism. And, and I think there's a diagram in there that I just, it, it says it very clearly, you know, it's like one of those pictures worth a thousand words, but it shows like a circle with little like one inch arrows off of it and all the different directions around the circle going out. Then it shows a circle with one, one arrow going up. That's the combination of all those other little arrows. And it's like, when you have focus on the essential, this is the progress when you've got little bits everywhere, yeah. like there's no progress. Right. And you're pulled in all these different directions. And, and, uh, you know, obviously the book explains a little bit more about all that stuff. So it's like, okay, well I've had to first figure out what's essential. And there's a question that I go back to that. I think a lot of coaches ask all the time mm-hmm. is like, you know, what am I supposed to do? I've got all these things. I don't know what to do. What's the most important one thing, not, not priorities, priority. Like what's like, what's the one thing that you need to do, right? If you can only do one thing right now, what is it? Like, what's the most important? Um, and, and then, you know, planning per week. So I just started recently pan, uh, planning per week and, and, uh, Terry Berger, uh, my friend had told me about, uh, the Brian Buffini show. I think it's yep. awesome yeah, podcast. It's like, okay. Man, I started listening to that and just digging in because he, he, he also, uh, really likes Jim Rohn, you know, the Brian Buffini. And so his podcast, he sounds like Jim Rohn. Like you can tell he's listened to him for a long time, but just, you know, the way he talks and everything, but it's, it's, it's business and it's, um, you know, advice and all that kind of stuff. But, but some of the interviews that I listened to, it was incredible. And what I've implemented out of what I've heard from that podcast, um, just over the last couple of weeks is, is one, um, I've got a calendar and it's the calendar in our kitchen that my daughter Sophie like colored and drew all the pictures for the month and was complaining that nobody ever uses it, you know? And so it was still like four months behind, like nobody had and so I was like, I'm going to use that calendar. Like I have a big one at the office I could take in there, but I was like, no, I'm going to use the small one that's hers, you know? And so I got that and, and I got the little color coded circle stickers, like a pack of where there's like seven, eight or nine different colors. And I'd stick those on the side and put something next to them of all the things that are important to me that I'm trying to do, like, you know, for, for life, not just business. Right. And so it's, um, you know, just different things like fun, like one sticker is fun. So if I do something fun for myself, I put it on there because we all have to do that from time to time. And then, um, like something with the kids. So if I do something that day with the kids, I'll put the sticker on a workout, you know, meditate, um, like have a green smoothie, like the stuff for health and everything else. So it's, it's really good because it's keeping me accountable. And, and the bigger thing out of that though, is, is the uh, motivation, like the reward, 
And this is a big thing that we've been talking a lot about here because with, with the software side of things, I'm going to try not to get too much on a tangent. Um, but, but it all relates. And I think it's helpful because it's what we're dealing with right now. It's what we're working through. So we, we have lead propeller and we we're growing that. Right. And, and, um, uh, we, we also are working on a CRM system, which is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to have this thing for our business and for everybody else to be able to use. But by the end of the year, we're, we're going to launch this. And so that project we've been working on for, it'll, it'll almost be a year now. I think it's like nine months or something. We're rebuilding. So we had REI mobile, which is a CRM system, but we're, we're rebuilding it from the ground up and it's going to be called something else. Um, and it's a very ambitious project, but it's like, this is what I want. Like, this is the ultimate. And, and so in order to do that, we've got software developers and everything. And, and we've been learning that business as well, like how to, to manage all that project management for that. And it has a lot of tie-ins with the flipping business. And so that's where I'm going with this, but yeah. you know, basically we were having developers work on this, this huge, very ambitious project, right? Software project. And it's like, we need it done by October, November, right? That's when we need to launch this. So work your butts off. Let's keep going. Like work, 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 work and get this thing done. And it was like the motivation, like started out with everybody super pumped. Right. And like, let's do it. Let's do it. Like super high power meetings and stuff. Like we're ready to go motivated that quickly tanked like after a number of months. Right. You know, and it's like slows down. It's like, where's all the motivation now? It's like kind of disappointing. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're not making as much progress as we should. And so I met a, a guy, um, that runs a software company in San Antonio and he met with me for lunch and I talked to him and he was gracious enough to let me come back with my CTO and talk with him some more. But we talked about this, right? We were talking about like, Hey, you know, this is what we're dealing with. And he says, yeah, well, I mean, you need to, to do two week sprints. You need to do two weeks sprints. It's like you, you give smaller tasks that can be completed within the two weeks. And you know, that way, you know, not that you're, you're getting more done. It's, but because they get to see that they're accomplishing something and getting that reward and getting that motivation, that feedback and, and feeling like they're getting somewhere, right. Instead of this like long goal, that's like yeah. way in the future, which seems impossible. And I and see how it fits with flipping, right? Because it's right. like the yeah. goal is like, I'm going to have freedom and, you know, have these houses and be flipping all these houses and stuff like that. But there's so much in between. And I guess it gets right back into like what you were talking about. Um, you know, with like just focusing on the first steps, but, yeah. you know, so breaking that out and, and on the Buffini podcast, he had interviewed Brian Moran, I think. And he, he wrote a book called the 12 week year. Yep. I heard that one. And so, and that's like, yeah, not, not having the year goal, but I mean, you have the year goal, but really focusing on each quarter and just saying, because things change, right. We all get sidetracked. We, we get we find other things become priority. And so when you shrink it down to that. And I just started reading that book, so I don't have a lot to talk about on it, but it's one of the things that I'm doing to help, you know, with, with management and, and it's good for me too, because I felt like I had so many things pulling me in so many directions and, and having that motivation for myself. I know I'm doing things and making progress, but I wasn't feeling like I was rewarding myself or like, yeah, that's great. You know, yeah. like accepting that I'm making all this progress. Yep. You know what I mean? That do I mean by mirror image? I that's exactly what we're going through. I, yeah. I like even yesterday, I get to the end of the day and I'm just like, I know I did things that were awesome, but they went by so fast. I didn't like 
like I find I like I I go to the my the end of my day. I'm just like, oh, I didn't do that one or two thing, and like all of a sudden my day is just like it's shot because I didn't get get those two things done, but I got those other ten things done. So it's like giving yourself credit for for what you do accomplish. Yeah, me. it's really important. And the thing that's actually been good with us, cause you get yourself so used to that, that path. Oh, okay. January 1st, you know, I'm starting my things and getting, getting, by the end of the year, it's always off, off track. So <laughs> yeah. we've actually started implementing a 30 day thing. And what's been good for this is like, we just started like at a random day. It started like June 23rd. So it wasn't like the beginning of the month or the end of the month. It was just completely random. And it's broken up our sequence of, you know, going by the month or going by the year. And, uh, yeah. but it, then I heard that Brian Fina, I was like, wow, that's, that's Smart. incredible. Smart guy. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> the thought process by Brian Moran. Well, <laughs> since we're sort of going in this direction, um, and this is a question we ask everybody, what is your big why? Why do I you do this? Why? <laughs> How many whys do I have? It's, it's mostly family. Like, you know, I've, I've done exercises at conferences where they, they have you close your eyes and it's like the first thing that comes to mind. So it's my kids and my family. And so it's, like building that generational wealth and, yeah. and, uh, and then becoming that, that person that's capable of doing that. So I can teach my kids to, that they can do whatever they want and to show them that path. And so that, that's what drives me. See that that's, that's, that's amazing great. goals right there. Yeah. I love like it. being able to teach your children what you do. Would that fall in line with, uh, your in game in real estate? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it's really, like I said, we're, we're going to start transitioning. I'm starting to talk about it with the team. I haven't hammered it out, but um, we haven't fleshed out all the details, but we're going to start, you know, the, the market changes all the time. You know, you yeah. know, it's not always going to be up, 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 up. Uh, things change. And we rode through the 2008 um, ordeal, which was, was pretty crazy. Yeah. But, you know, and that's why I had like mentors and people I looked up to saying, Hey, there's no shame, Danny, and going and getting a job again. And, and not you know, like just staying out of the, because nobody knew where the bottom was, right? Yeah. It was scary. And to have those people telling me that, and I was like, I thought you were supposed to make money yeah. when things were going down, right? I thought that was the thing, right? So I was kind of surprised. And like, maybe that was their tactics. Like, hey, less competition. I'll tell Danny just to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yep. <laughs> yep. So, but but I, I, I was ruined for working for anybody at that point. I was like, I'm not, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I need to just buy it this much cheaper, you know, and to, to be in San Antonio, to be all fair, you know, fair was we didn't have a huge bubble either. We didn't have crazy, crazy appreciation like California and stuff, Florida. Like we didn't have that as bad here because our property taxes, I guess, were, were much higher because we don't have a state income tax. And so I'm thinking maybe that kept it from becoming too much of a bubble. So we did have a decrease, but it wasn't a crazy one. But I lost track of my <laughs> train of thought. It was, it was enough to hurt. Like the, the crash was enough to hurt. Um, so like going through kind of like where your life has taken you, where, where do you see yourself in like five years, sort of like, okay. like your end game? Yeah. So with the, the market and I'm not doom and gloom, I hope it takes, you know, five, six, seven years before it just like maybe straightens out and doesn't go down or anything, but you know, hopefully it just keep going and going and going. But, but also for long-term, you know, for, for just long-term wealth building, you know, doing more rentals and doing more, you know, like you guys doing multifamily stuff and, and, you know, maybe not doing that. I don't, I don't know if I want to do multifamily, but you know, like rentals and owner financing, I love that stuff. Like I, I just love seeing 
And for the longest time when, when we were doing that years ago, like building up more of those, we had what was called a magic number on our whiteboard. And that was the combination of all the, the income we were getting from those long-term investments. And that number, we just kept adding that number up. Every time we added a new one, we'd add that amount of money it was bringing in to that magic number. And we had debt on those properties, but we didn't put, we didn't subtract. We weren't putting just cash flow. We were putting on like, once these are paid off, how much is that going to be? Because it's more motivational, right? Yeah. Maybe we're not getting that much in cash flow right now, but it was like, wow, seeing that number grow is, so that's what we're going to be probably looking at, at doing a little bit more of. And I think that helps you ride out to the tough times because then you have some assets that if you need to, if you need cash influx, yep. you can sell those, stuff like that. But Maybe not to sidetrack too long, but you, you've mentioned it a few times. Would you give us, uh, for everyone, and just give us a quick synopsis of how a typical owner finance deal, I know they're not typical, but just give us um, a short of uh, a owner finance deal. Yeah, so the, for us in, in our market, uh, and, and property values have gone up in the lower end that used to be where we could pick them up for 20 or 30 grand and put like 10, 15 K into it. And then owner finance it for like 69 or 79, which is like incredible, you know, and sell them at like 10%. Um, and so, and the number's a little bit higher now. So on both sides, like on the, on the buy and then when we owner finance it, but, um, you know, if we don't buy them ourselves and owner finance them, we can also, we have a lender that we found where we, you know, he's okay with doing a wrap. So he'll do longer term. And the way we've structured our owner finance, um, always in the past is not for cash flow. Now uh, it was more of when we would get one, it was like, well, how much can we sell this for with a down payment of like 5,000 bucks when we sell it owner finance down payment of 5,000. What's that remaining loan amortized out at 20 or 30 years. What's that payment to us? And then our loan, we want to structure, uh, to be as short as possible, but cover that, like be covered by that. So we're not cash flowing, but it's paying off much quicker at much less interest. Yep, and so, you know, like eight, 10 years. So, so we end up, if it's a 30 year note that we sell, you know, not, not the note, but we create a 30 year note when we sell it, you know, and the people pay off in eight years, our underlying one, we had 22 years of payments, you know, and it's like, like just the thrill of knowing that that's coming and it's not going to be, always just a, a small cash flow, you know, it's like, so we're giving up the cash flow now for, for much more in the future. Awesome. Return later. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. Yep. Do you actually, you know, I want to add into my show notes. Do you have like a podcast that explains owner financing or do you have like something we could point I our, uh, I don't know that I did one myself, but I interviewed a guy that's also in San Antonio, Mitch Steven. And uh, there's a podcast episode with him. If you have, if you have more interest in it, listen to that one. It's pretty good. That's yeah, correct. I'll point I'll point our listeners that way because I'm sure that I mean this is it's a great play for for any investor out there. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. What's we're coming down to a few questions we always love to get out, but you've given us a lot of starting points. Give mm -hmm. us give us one starting point because we we've had a lot for for new investors out there. Give give them one actual step today that they can go out there and do. I think the step is, is, is the one that you actually said, and it's one that I think people should do. And it's, you know, if you're very, very beginner at this and you're learning a lot of things, you're listening to podcasts, it's awesome, but you can listen to the podcast in the car. Well, you probably are listening to it in your car. So that's good. Just listen to the podcast and drive around. What I was going to say was step away from the computer. Like if you're on the forums all the time, reading all this stuff or studying courses, listen to the podcasts while you're driving around these areas of town and get to know 
all these areas. Look for where rehabs are happening. Look where there's a lot of investor activity. That's great. And, um, and th- it's, it's not hard to do and it's not really getting out of your comfort zone too much. While you're doing that though, you do need to get out of your comfort zone. So write down addresses of properties that look vacant or run down. And then when you see one being rehabbed, meaning there's like a roll off dumpster in the garage in the driveway and there's people hauling stuff out of the house and putting it in, stop and talk to the contractors, get their cards, make notes afterwards of talking to them, how you felt about them. You know, were they, did they smell like alcohol? <laughs> were they talking too much? And, and uh, you know, and how was the job site? Was it well kept and everything? Like they kept a clean job site and all that kind of stuff. Very professional. Cause you're going to need contractors most likely if not, you know, if you're wholesaling, but you still need to learn like pricing and stuff like that. So it's always good to get all this. And that doesn't take too much getting out of a comfort zone to do that, but it's a good start. That's great. great. Thank you. So, and again, you've given us so much, but like, give us one final like statement or words to live by. Work on yourself. Nice. That's great. So if people are trying to uh, find out more about you, some of uh, the platforms you have going on, what would be a best way to, uh, to find you? Yeah. The flipping junkie podcast on iTunes. It's also on Stitcher. So if you're not an Apple person, yeah. podcast. Yep. Cool. Great. Well, thank oh, you. Oh, and then one more place too. I, we started because of this whole transition that we've made, uh, in, in thinking of, you know, like building the team and having the true freedom, we did start a Facebook group and I encourage everybody to join. It's, it's a private group, but just ask for an invite and, uh, you know, just go to the group. It's, it's flip pilot. So look for the flip pilot group on Facebook and then just uh, ask to be invited and, and we'll let you in there. We're just verifying that it's not people looking to do marketing and stuff like that because we want that in the group. So that's the reason why it's a private group, but it's, it's, it's for people to get together and share, you know, their, the things that they need help with and then what they're finding works well for, for building a business where you're, and the reason why it's called flip pilot is because I love flipping and aviation, but also because it's like the 30,000 foot view of your business, right? Yeah. So it's like being somebody that's more focused on the 30,000 foot view than being down wearing all the hats. And so that's what it's all about. So I encourage everybody to go in. Awesome. We're definitely going to jump on that as soon as I get up, as soon as we get off this call, because that's definitely what Jason and I need more of is that overview. The high level view. Yeah. Danny, uh, incredible. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to, uh, chat with us today. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Danny. Again, this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you so very much. So grateful for you and so grateful for our listeners. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you too. Hi, everybody. Peely here from the REI Foundation podcast. Looking to rev up your wholesaling or house flipping business? Go now to houseflippinghq.com. Jason and I are part of a house flipping family, a community created by Justin Williams. Would we be where we are without him and without his community and his mentors? Probably not. Justin and his team basically handed us personalized shortcuts and exact strategies that have made us explode in today's market. So if you're looking to take the next step, go to houseflippinghq.com right now. Again, this is Peely from the REI Foundation podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we are so grateful for you. Have a great day. Bye.
Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.